I, I just asked ChatGPT. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it, it, it knows more than me. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the best. No, um, I, I, I think, I think May's comment was a good one of like, what's the impact, right? What, what's the impact of decision? And in a, in a sense, I, a guy told me once, and I forget who it was, it was a friend of mine years and years ago. He said, don't make a decision today that prevents you from making a decision tomorrow. And, and, and it's really about, you know, having an understanding of the impact and then, thinking about the next decision you will need to make and sort of factor that in. So kind of think beyond the decision and then understand the impact and then work backwards from there. And if it's a huge impact, you know, it's like these one-way, two-way door kind of things. If it's a, a one-way door, then really think it through, wait as long as you can to make the decision, get as much information. And if it's not, then make it quickly and adapt. Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello everybody, Grant Hunter here product growth leaders topic of the week. Steve, I was working with a client this week and we're trying to help them make some product strategy decisions. And the reality is there are a lot of tough product decisions to make. And, you know, part of product management is making a good, the decision you can with the best information you can get because you can't get everything. What's your thoughts on tough, making tough decisions? I mean, product management seems to be full of them. Well, certainly in every case, there's a constant balance between what we have the resources to do and what we want to do. So somebody is always going to be unhappy. Uh, it's true in government. It's true in your family budget. It's true in your business organizations. Somebody has to make the hard choices. And I find that ultimately, many in many cases, it ends up being the product manager having to make a choice of, do I satisfy this customer or that customer, or do I build things that the president wants, or do I build things that the market wants to buy? Or that sales wants, or Indeed. that somebody else wants. Uh, and it, 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 often it comes down to us to make these decisions. So totally. topic this week, tough product management decisions. And <laughs> on Monday, we put this, you know, relatively long for my taste uh, question in the uh, and the community, what is the toughest product management decision you have had to make? And where'd you go for advice? And, you know, this is actually, we, we had, a, uh, we did a similar conversation on this. I mean, two and a half years ago, it's been a long time. And I think Jason was the first person to answer two and a half years ago. And Jason was the first person to answer this week. Uh, you know, sometimes things align in the right. Was it the same and answer? You know what? I didn't go look. It probably was. I, I saw a lot of a lot of trends that seemed the same. So, Jason, you talked to, to. Well, actually, I don't think it was. You talked about hiring a candidate. And it was the same answer because you have connected through API to ChatGPT, so that makes sense. <laughs> that was last week, Jason. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, obviously, uh, you know, waiting for everybody else to answer with good product decisions and um, tough product decisions, and certainly there, like Steve said, there are 
so many, but the first one that came to mind was outside of kind of just product management normal is just hiring the right person to be a product manager. Uh, and one of the companies I worked for, just the resource pool wasn't plentiful in the area. There wasn't many software companies to kind of dig from and the universities weren't pushing out product managers. And so you had to grow all your product managers that you hired uh, and actually teach the industry too. And so uh, sometimes I would just hire from internal, from QA or development uh, and sometimes I would find candidates that had the right stuff. And we spoke about that a lot during product growth leaders, like what is the right stuff for a product manager. Yep. Um, but I was hesitant. I had a project manager that wanted a job and, and interviewed pretty well, but I was hesitant because they had no product managing experience. And it seemed like they were so focused on project management, which can be a diversion. It can be a completely separate path, right? Uh, and so I didn't have anybody to go to advice kind of used a gut saying I could teach this person to be passionate about product management and then after and then hired them and that was really tough to just hire that person and have and try to have that confidence and it ended up not working out because they were so passionate about project management that when it came to doing the product work it was a bit of like butting heads and so not with me but just with themselves in the roles the conflict of the roles and they ended up, they're, they're a very senior project manager today, but they never went back into product management after they left that company. And why was there a conflict, Jason? I mean, was it the inability, I mean, was it the belief that if we just ganted it just right, we'd be able to do more than is possible? Yeah, they were very, they were so focused on the process and tasks, but they weren't able to holistically think about product and the customers. Mm. You know, so product managers, like we're supposed to be, thinking about the market and serving our customer base and providing value of the product to our customer base, whether that's internal or external. But a project manager is about executing tasks that have been defined in the work breakdown structure with you know, begin dates and end dates and a, and a final project. And so it was that, that kind of conflict where I was trying to encourage them to you know, think about the product, you know, what needs to happen to get the features and that it was all about what's the tasks. And so that, that was the conflict. This actually, I'm going to go a little off down a separate path, follow this down a similar path, but I've had situations where I hired somebody internally who came from marketing, you know, more pure marketing, not product marketing, into a product management role. And I had a similar issue where they kept drifting into the sort of execution, tactical marketing stuff of it, not the strategic product role. Is this something, I mean, at, we, we've had many conversations about these different activities that product management gets pulled into project management and sometimes QA or whatever it may be. Is there a challenge in bringing people from one of those roles into product management and with them going rogue, right? Going back to what, they, where they came from or where they want, where they were. Are you asking me? I'm asking the panel. So my experience is that as a product leader who is hiring these people, um, you have to be aware of where they're naturally going to gravitate to, which could be a good thing because you can capitalize and use that specific experience, whether it be QA, development, design, marketing, and you can use some of that, right, to enhance the overall A team, if you will, of your team, which is great, creates diversity in education and experience. However, if not, if gone unchecked, and you just let them go, like you said, rogue, then they will start to focus on the tasks that they are more comfortable with because that's their natural gravitation. 
And so it's our job as leaders to just use that, use those powers, but make sure that we're ending up, um, have them going towards the same uh, mission of what we're supposed to be doing as the product team. My first time as a product leader, director of product management, having people work for me, I actually made a trade. I don't know if you're allowed to make trades in most companies, but I, I traded my product manager for a SE because my product manager was doing the SE role and the SE was a little better knowledge of the market. And so we just traded them. And, and that's probably smart. In. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody else, anybody else? I mean, Jason, I think you hit some of those if we don't trade them. Saeed, you said in the, the, in the chat, the, a bunch of unlearning that has to happen. So you can bring these people, but you have to help them unlearn those old, be, old, old things and focus on the new things. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think it's it's anybody. I mean, you, let's say you're a product manager, you move over to marketing. It's the same thing, right? You can't be thinking like a product manager when you're in marketing. You have to think like a marketer. And so yeah. I think anyone has to come and understand the new context and then, you know, be helped to focus on the right things because those will be different, right? I, I once hired a, well, he transferred, but he was an engineer and he came over to to product management and you know, his natural inclination was to get deep into the product because he'd written the code <laughs> uh, and we had to kind of, you know, coach him to not do that. And he was, he was great. Like he, and he had a great career as a product manager, but uh, you know, it took a while. And, and Dominic, I, I love what you just put in the chat. You said, go visit customers because I found as I started as in product management as a marketing person, I, my title was director of marketing, but I wasn't getting any direction on what our product was and how to market it. So I went and started talking to customers and that knowledge helped me build a strategy, a productization of services strategy strategy that then led them to saying, oh, you want to be a director? <laughs> right. But it was only because I went and talked to customers. I mean, do you see, is that one of the critical things you want to do with somebody first when you're bringing them? across? Yeah. I mean, to, to avoid having, you know, the focus on the task is get them out of the task and Hey, going to feel under, you know, visit customers, listen to customers, try to understand the dynamic, try to understand application of, of the product in, in the environment, right? That's awesome. I, you know, I, I think that's great. Any other thoughts on this before we actually get back to the question of the week? All right. I'll, I, go ahead, Sayed. No, I just, I'll just add, like, I've never seen a company that actually onboarded product manager as well. And I think it's really important to do. And they think that most companies just fail. They go, Hey, yeah, we'll introduce some people. And then you can learn, you know, you can learn as you go along. And, and that's, it's a terrible approach. I think you need to onboard them the same way you onboard anyone else. And, and that's a whole other topic, I guess, but do we have clear job description of a product manager? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, Rarely. That's a good question. Rarely. Yeah, well, and, and I'm, it's the I'm glue. Looking. It, it's the uh, the job that does what everyone else doesn't want to do. It's the waiter. It's and, and Dom and May. I'm looking at you guys because you guys have both have been doing some product ops. I mean, isn't this one of the reasons we need product ops? Both defining what the roles are, but also for helping with onboarding. Depends what your biggest challenges are today. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, it's, I, it's definitely the internally? a much much larger conversation. Yes, we will have to make Different that conversation podcast. again. <laughs> Different one, yes. We'll get there. Now, back to the original Monday question on toughest product management decisions. We had a very special guest actually answer the question this week. Steve Johnson actually visited the community and answered the Monday question. 
And Steve, you talked about something. We, we had a, a lot of people who had a similar thing. So many people said the toughest decision they had to make was an end of life. So talk to me about your experience. Well, yeah, I was uh, recruited into this organization to launch a product that was a million dollars in already. And uh, I, uh, I looked and found like no research to speak of. Apparently, the president had gotten drunk with somebody and walked away with a partnership. Uh, and I, I went and talked to the developers and they're like, we don't get this thing. You know, they hated working on it. Um, I went to the sales guys and they're like, man, this is completely different sales cycle, different buyer, different everything. Um, but we did sign up 12 beta sites. And so I called the beta sites and every one of them said that they had agreed uh, to beta the product only because as, uh, um, uh, as a favor to their to their sales guy. Not one of them intended to put it in production, despite all of them being promised lifetime access to the product. So, you know, I did a little bit of market research. I did a little bit of uh, team morale testing. And I sat down with the president and said, what's the worst possible thing that could happen to this product right now? And he said, well, you know, nobody buys it. And I said, no, that is not the worst thing. The worst thing is three of them buy it. And now we've got a terrible idea and customers to support. So I'm proposing we shoot this bad boy. And before we waste any more money. And the leadership team agreed, which kind of surprised me. And then I went, do I still work here? <laughs> and that's I mean, it is hard after all my only that. product. I, I, and I saw that in a lot of the people talking about end of life decisions is there's a personal, there's mostly, sometimes it's a passion for the, the problem you're solving or the product itself. Sometimes it's that personal, my job, my peers' jobs that could be impacted. Richard, uh, you actually had a very similar experience. Uh, you, you shared a very similar experience as your toughest decision. Yeah. Um, so we were over a year deep into developing a product. And it just, everything was delaying it and delaying it and delaying it. Right. But all the developers were passionate about it. They really wanted to finish it. But there were so many issues left in developing it. I realized we were never going to get it done within the window of opportunity for selling it. Right. So I had to kill it. And it was a really tough decision because everybody loved that product. Everybody was heads down, put their heart and soul into it for over a year, right? But what's the point of moving forward with something that the market no longer needs? Especially, so that was tough. And, and, and so I almost look at this in two almost scenarios and I'd love to get some thoughts on it. One is this sunk cost. We've been building it. <clears throat> we can't, you know, Steve's thing where we now talk to the market and there's nobody who wants it or God, the feasibility of getting this built or delivered is not happening. But there's also the, I've got a product, and this is where mine was. I had a product which was 20 years old, right? And then you're making a decision to kill something that used to have a great life that people have great memories of. Uh, <clears throat> how similar or different are those two? I, I think the second one is much, sorry. No, you go ahead. Go ahead no, I was just gonna. You know, I, I I think the second one is much more difficult, right? Because the first one you have some sunk cost, but 
you, you don't have customers, you don't have, you know, a position in the market, et cetera. Whereas the second one, you really have to deal with a lot more complexity and a lot more issues. And, and that's a place where almost a sunset has to come in, right? Where it's something you haven't launched, you don't have to even worry about what you do with those people who are currently paying and working on it. Or you, yeah, I guess you have to work on it, but paying, you, you know, when I, when I've end of life, something that was existing and had been around for a while, you always had to think about how do we wind it down, right? It's not a black and white, okay, it's done decision. Uh, you have to sort of wind it down. Yeah, it's in the hardware space where you have to work through existing inventory. You can't just trash yeah. everything. It's so, all process. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jason, part of the process, say, right, oh, is to avoid ahead, the, the, the whole um, uh, personal aspect, you know, the attachment, the emotional aspect of a product, right? You need to wind down. Yeah. Jason? Uh, I was just going to say, and it's going to be the headstone on my career is moving customers from legacy products to new products. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not easy. Not only it's not easy, who's paying for it? And yeah. nobody wants to pay for it. Customers shouldn't have to pay for it. They already did an implementation once. The company doesn't want to pay for it because their services team are billable. And, and so, and the executives don't necessarily want to invest in, in this. So it's on the product to create tools. Do you bring in partners to do this work? They're also billable. And so, and then you, the new product has, has, has to have significantly more value in order to overcome the challenges of change management. And you, and if you don't do it success, successfully, you wind up with customers that aren't referenceable. And yeah, so and I was, companies know this and what they end up doing is after a lot of acquisitions, they end up with just a hodgepodge of the same functionality, but different products with different customer bases, which becomes very different for the board of directors. I mean, very difficult for no, the board. No, completely. I was just talking to a client a couple of days ago who was doing a major platform launch, new platform launch, and he's asking for advice on launch. And I said, can I ask you a question? What percentage of this new platform is driven by technical debt versus increasing, you know, value for the customers. He's like 95% technical debt. And I said, you've got a hard road because you're going to try to convince people to change their user experience and how they do things, which where the value is majority to you guys, not to them. You're going to have to work hard to identify those 5% and make sure they care about it. Now, they're a growing company, so they're rolling out first to net new customers who haven't had the old platform. So that'll be good. But when they roll that the old platform over, you know, I'm like, you that's kid gloves. You got to manage that. Yeah, it's on an individual basis. And you got to remember that you risk inviting your customers to put you out to bid, which means yeah, are you gonna exactly. are you gonna rebid for that? And that's a cost of sales and marketing or sales and pre-sales, and that's opportunity cost for net new revenue. So it's no, very complicated and a lot of decision points before you start sunsetting legacy products. Yeah, no, com completely and totally. And, uh, you know, we probably, mental note, we'll do a topic to, of the week. To jump on to Jason's point here briefly, um, when we think about effort to deliver, we almost always think of the effort to program. We think of the effort for the developers, but we need to be thinking about the effort for um, our developers, our salespeople, our marketing people, our services people, our support people, 
Um, so a small change, contracts, you know, a small change in product may have very big change in those other groups. Yeah. So yeah. Steve, you just touched on a very challenging situation that I've been dealing with this week. Right. So I'm one month into this new job. And last Thursday and Friday, they had me presenting the roadmap for the next quarter, which I had no part in creating because I haven't <laughs> been there. Right. And so as I'm presenting this, right, I see new feature number one, new feature number two, platform stabilization number three. Right. This whole month I've been here, I've been talking to people, talking to salespeople, talking to customers, talking to service people, and all they're doing is complaining that we can't get our deliveries done because the platform is overloaded and it's not getting through all its processes in time. So as I'm presenting this roadmap as this new person, I had to stop and say, wait a minute, I actually think we need to move number three to number one. I don't see any reason to roll yeah. up new features until we get this stabilized and keep people happy. So you did the roadmap like this and then you were like, no, I'm sorry, it's like this. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Flip it upside down. I, I'm, I'm gonna put into the queue for topic of the week, uh, next gen platforms, right? And in handling that, I think that's a great conversation we'll have and we'll put it in there. Want to get us back to the Monday question. I, I'm, I've, I've been letting us roam. It's like herding cats a little because we start going down stuff and there's so much good conversations. May, you, we, we talked about a little earlier. You, you said your product is the product team and the practices around it. And sometimes you've realized you've exhausted the amount of things you can change without some major realignment. So talk to me about your toughest decisions. So, I mean, I feel like this is the same even when you are owning a regular product and your product is in a team, right? Um, there comes a point where the things you want to do with that product isn't politically palatable, and it's not something you can actually end up doing at within that organization for an assortment of reasons. Um, even if you have like all of the um, justification, evidence, data, whatever to back it up, you, you might still not be able to, you know, get the people you need to help you build that next step, next gen to break into the larger market or the product, whatever it might be. Um, and when you come across that situation where you can't do, you can't really do more, uh, it, it's, it might be time to go. But it's hard mm -hmm. to do that because you've spent so much time in that place focusing on turning this thing into something cool and you've done a lot of that and now you're like if i leave what's going to happen to it you know um it's it's a really rough decision um it, you, nobody wants to leave if you like the people you work with and you like the product that you're building um but sometimes but sometimes you, you have, just have to you have to take that bullet I, I mean, yeah. there's, I, I've, I've, I've done that. And sometimes what I've seen is with change, the, the immediate people I worked with, I love, but I was facing culture issues and change issues, change management issues from senior leadership in, you know, sort of stakeholders. And sometimes you, you push as much as you can and you need to remove yourself to let that barrier, right? You became this almost a barrier to success, at least in my scenario, it happened like that. And two times in a row, uh, I left and my successor 
was able to to execute on the strategy and, and have amazing success uh, because of that. So, May, awesome. Thank you. Dominic, you had two examples. And one of them, you know, one of them was about sort of this decision about global product management versus regional product management. But the second one was one that I wanted to go into. You had a launch of a product that the CEO wasn't aware of? Surprising, huh? Um, yeah, and, and that, that's where I, <laughs> I, I, I call it, you know, kind of very, very painful moment, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in that terminology. And uh, we, we were ready to launch. We had balloons out, you know, cookies ready. Uh, customers were ready to get it and everything. And suddenly um, got a call and say, hey, what, what is this new product? Help me understand. And oh, by the way, you know, uh, I, I'd rather have this and this and this. And, and, and that for the product management team, it was kind of uh, deflating number one and number two, super, super painful because uh, we realized all, all the, the resources that were behind the launch and the time to market was all you know, right on point. We said, crap, we're going to delay it, right? And well, long story short, we delayed it by six months, right? And obviously time to market was not, you know, timely enough based on a lot of other factors in, in the marketplace. And, you know, for the team, it was, um, I mean, great lesson learned, right? Um, you need to socialize your, your launches, uh, I guess, with, with all the executive team uh, and, you know, go back to, hey, this, is, this was on the roadmap and yeah, it, you know, um, surprise, surprise. So that, that was kind of a painful moment uh, for, 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 for the team. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, that's pushing the launch. We, I once had a, we launched a refactoring to bring some of these things together and the CEO was aware of it. He knew it, but it was, it failed. It, it was spaghetti code and it killed the whole site and we had to make a decision to roll it back. Anytime you're launching something new and you have to make a decision to push it or pull it back, that's a tough place to be. But sometimes you have to make those decisions. And, and you have um, a lot of dynamics you don't have control on. You know, you're, you're kind of aligning all the stars for your launch, right? And then boom, event happens and everything is upside down, right? I'll take your paper, Jason, and put it back up. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Corey, I'm going to come to you, then Sayed, I'll get to you and get your take on this. Corey, you said you've had the same hard, hard decisions many times, always for various reasons. Talk to me about that for you. Yeah, it's the decision to leave a company. Um, and I, I realized that when people were talking about the, the reasons to fail or to uh, sunset a product or something like this, sometimes I get so invested in the product, I become the product that I'm building or it becomes a part of me and it feels wrong to shut a part of it down or leave it with a team I built up and the, you know, the six awesome people I've hired and the relationships I've built and the, the system of, of, you know, everything that we've got, it feels good, but there's things that are nagging at me that I need to leave for that decision. Uh, the, the times that I've made it have been, you know, take weeks to decide very stressful for me, I, you know, I have to do a lot of things. I go deep in the tank and uh, it's it's not an easy one to make. It's the right one to make. It's just not an easy one to make. Um, but those are the things that happen sadly 
um, when I get too wrapped up in it. And sometimes I can, you know, usually divorce myself from the product before I leave. So it's easier to do that. But I think identifying with your product or seeing it as a part of you is both a good and a bad thing because you get too, yeah. too self-identified with it. No, completely and totally. Steve, you have a comment on that? Yeah, I just I have a similar experience. Uh, it, it's it's kind of interesting as we look at people's different careers. I feel like I have almost always stayed too long for exactly those reasons. You know, I I love the products, I love the company, I love that person, but it's 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 not. I'm not moving to where I need to be, and I, I um and. You know, I look at some people who, who change job every three years and I'm like, wow, that seems like a lot of job hopping, but it's kind of the norm today. But I look back on my career and I think maybe I stayed too long at a number of these places. I was I was having dinner with some friends the other weekend and they were talking about how they've been at their their company, their job, mostly their job, but their company for 26 years, 24 years. I'm like, God, how many jobs have I had in 24 years? I can't encourage. I was going to say three years, Steve. I was lucky to make it to two yeah. years. I think 18 months to 24 months was my typical window. I even had a CEO interviewing me say, hey, Grant, I'm looking at your resume and I see that you've, you've moved to a lot of jobs. And I, and I had the answer in my head, right? And he said, what do I need to do to keep you longer? And he actually did. be a jerk. Why? I said, That's great. You, <laughs> you're hiring me to figure something out, to solve a problem. Once I've figured it out and solved that problem, don't expect me to stay here in management, manage it. My job, I'm not a, I'm a problem solver. You bring me in to solve problems. Don't then put, have me maintain it, right? Find somebody else and put me on a new problem. Yeah, and they awesome. did that. And the only re <laughs> yeah, give me a second. The only reason I left was to go teach and replace Steve. Uh, that's where I left that one. So I, I am going to get to you. I'm going to give uh, May a, a second on this. Sorry, um, this has been bothering me all week. So I, I spent a lot of time talking to product ops people and these people, they, like everyone just talks about the processes that they're going to build and then maintain. And it's always expected that the person building it is going to maintain it. But the same thing goes with like, if you have a, if you have a team of developers who built a thing, you're going to retire it. What happens to who, who takes care of it at the end? Like you can't expect the builders to maintain it because like it's a different skill set, it's a different level of interest. Um, what happens then, right? So I'm gonna stop now because I, mean, I wrote a in whole sales, thing about it. In sales, you have the hunter farmer, right? Some people are good at going out and finding new customers. Some are very good at managing all existing ones. I think that that's a mentality we should be thinking about sometimes in product management other roles. Said, while you've said some stuff, you've sit, sat very quietly at probably debating this question, thinking about the toughest decision you've ever had to make. I'd love to get your take on this. Um, so I've been, I've been sort of juggling two different ones in my mind. So one of them is very similar to what you and Steve mentioned. It was early in my career, I was product manager for a product and it, it, it had never been profitable. Uh, it had been kind of, you know, hot potatoed <laughs> and, uh, and the company clearly wasn't interested in investing in it. And, they, you know, they had gone to sort of a different direction. And, and then, so what am I supposed to do, right? And, and I, I had went to my boss and I said, look, like you either need to get the company to invest or you need to sell this or shut it down. And it's like, here's the product manager going, hey, like 
this product needs to be, you know, sunsetted or something. And it was funny because he was great. He was a great manager. And he, we talked about it and he said, well, if that's how you feel, then you should bring it up. And uh, so at the next sort of management meeting, uh, I brought it up and, you know, <laughs> it was funny because around the room, <laughs> like there were a lot of surprise looks, but then the engineering VP was like, yeah, that's true. Cause you know, I got a couple of guys on it, but they could certainly be doing, you know, more valuable stuff. Um, and it was interesting because the CEO then was like, no, 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 we're going to invest in it. We're going to invest in it. And then six months later, they sold it. So, uh, but, but just, you know, kind of early in my career going, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> we need to kill my product. It was not an easy decision to even raise. Um, so and it, it's tough. Yeah, it's especially when it you know you've got other people above you who are questioning it in for the wrong reasons. I I, I had a we I was working with the president of our division, my senior vice president, and myself, and we were trying working on a partnership. And, the, and our the president came up with a idea for how to a scheme for you know how do we share revenue and make something work and would it help us grow? And I was responsible for like modeling it. And I modeled it and I went to my, my senior vice president and said, I modeled it in, it, it doesn't make sense. And he goes, Charles, the president's name was Charles. Charles came up with that idea. You go back and make it work. And I'm like, no, it was a tough decision to tell my, you know, and, and, Luckily, I got into a place with the CEO, with the president and, and my senior vice president. I was able to have that conversation. He says, okay, it doesn't work. And, you know, he became a good mentor and, and, and I did a lot of stuff. But it's so tough, especially when you're a little more junior, to, ha to make those stands, right? Because we're, we're afraid of our job. We're afraid, you know, of going against, the, you know, this maybe goes back to our whole toxic culture type stuff, right? Depending on where you're going to go. Wow, some great insight. And, and actually, Said, I'm glad you, you talked about this idea of end of lifeing it versus doubling down and reinvesting in it. And, and I want to use that as a pivot to uh, the uh, poll. Uh, what is the most frequent type of tough product management decisions? We've talked about end of life. And, you know, sometimes if you're good at it, it could be a frequent decision because they they'll move you. I've had a lot of end of life decisions, which means I've also had a lot of new innovation because we have to figure out where do we go from there. Uh, so that's one of the options we gave. Investing in a failing product, hiring or firing, which we've talked about a couple of times, deciding to leave a company, which uh, was talked about, and other, it depends. And uh, right now, I mean, it's clear investing in a failing product has the most. I want to go to some of the other ones. Uh, and Start with other, it depends. Uh, Dominic, talk to me about where your head is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I looked at the question and in the question that was the most frequent, frequent type, right? Of tough product management yep. decisions. And they're all tough, right? But the bottom line is, and we do that all day, all day, it's prioritization, right? And, and to, to, yep. to me, it's, it's the, the key element because you, you need to have this great balance between you know, the customer needs and business capabilities. And you do, you, you do that all day long. I mean, that, that was my, my, you know, my, for, for the first time, I think I'm, I'm answering other <laughs> this poll. No, I, and, and I almost put prioritization on here. And then I think that I was thinking that that would be the overwhelming. I was trying to make it something we could vote on. Right. And I think in, in my head, prioritization would have been, everybody would have gone there. I know Corey would have gone there. Uh, with that, I'm going to go to 
Corey and Jason, the two of you both said hiring or firing. Jason, you talked a little bit about with your situation. I'll start with Corey on this one. So I wanted to make a general comment because it, it builds on what Dominic just said, but also something that was said earlier. Hard product decisions to me are table stakes. You're going to do those every day. They are difficult. They are painful. They are combative in some places. They are not easy to do. You're going to get some of them wrong. That's okay. That's what the job is sometimes. And you're going to do that every day. So I don't see making a hard product decision uh, prioritization is a hard product decision. It could be harder if you let it, but it's something you're going to do day in and day out. Um, and that's why when I answered this question with the answers that are there, most frequent type, uh, I think, are hiring and firing decisions because those are the ones that we should be making more frequently than ending a life of product. That's probably a one-time thing, uh, hopefully. Uh, investing in a failing product, hopefully you're not failing for too long. And you really only decide to leave a company once. So yeah. it, it kind of process of elimination led me to hiring or firing because that's something you're going to be doing or at least keeping track of. Um, always be recruiting, always be you know talking to teams and evaluating where you're at and where your teams are at and whether you need to add or subtract. Yeah, uh, I like that. Jason, other thoughts on that? Yes, I liked Thor, uh, Corey's thought process for the process of elimination to get to the words. It's really good, Corey. <laughs> Which you voted, but you voted. Corey wins influencer of the day. He's, he's, my, he's my next sales guy I hire. Wow. All right. I don't want you, you, You're both in, in Carolina, so maybe you can you can figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, well, we're all right, done well, on one of these days. But yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree with that. I mean, um, but, you know, tough decisions every day. It gets tougher when I have to start thinking of areas that I don't specialize in, specialize in product management, don't specialize in hiring and firing. And so those become the more uncomfortable areas because um, it's just, it's not my, it's not more in my DNA. Like pr thinking about products and customers and things is something that I naturally do. And decision-making around that is, is more of what is what the job is, but hiring and firing, it can be very tough because you're dealing with humans at that point too. No, com completely and totally. It, it may, and I think I see Richard's uh, uh, picture on investment in a failing product. I'm going to start with May and then Richard, I'll, I think if that's you, I'll give you a chance. So I feel like every time you make an investment in a failing product, I mean, that, that's why I picked it, because you continually, continuously invest in a failing product uh, if you are doing that right? Like, it's a really hard process to actually hit end of life. Um, it's a long process, especially if you're in B2B. There's a lot of things that go into it. So until you push it into end of life, or it might not even be a full product, it might be like an entire feature set that needs to go. Um, so I think it's important to think about like, you know, if you're talking about frequency, I feel like the most frequent is definitely investing in a failing product. So this entire conversation has prompted me to write an entire lengthy blog post on maintenance mode. Um, and it's, yes. it was a lot of fun to think through. Um, it, it's not, it, it's never an easy decision, but it's our job to say, Hey, this this product isn't doing so well. Let's talk about why and like, should we pull the plug or should we reinvent it? Yeah, and 
<clears throat> I mean, for me, I think about our conversation a few weeks ago with Adam Thomas on his survival metrics. And part of this is as you're failing, you need to be thinking about how do you make those decisions? So maybe a framework like his survival metric framework would help you make those types of decisions, but it's still tough because people are pushing and if you still see the opportunity, if the opportunity is still there and the problem is still there and the value is still there, sometimes it takes a couple pivots to get to the place where you have it right and to get to that product market fit. And sometimes you're failing until that. So I, I voted here as well. Richard, your thoughts? Is that you that I saw there? That's not me, but I okay. still have thoughts. Um, okay. And for me, the most frequent ones should be, depending upon the size of your company's portfolio, end of life of products. Uh, okay. My last company had over 30,000 SKUs. Right? Wow. Because they never wanted to end of life anything. And you'd have a salesperson that would sell something where like, all right, we're going to sell five of these a year for the next 20 years to this customer. And yeah, it I... becomes impossible to maintain. Right. But they're like, we've got to keep this one person happy, this one customer happy. We've got to make sure this is available for the life of the machine they're putting it on. You can't end of life it, but then you struggle to get components to support it. Uh, so you've, those are tough ones, right? Hiring and firing. I don't think those are frequent things, right? You shouldn't be hiring people every week, every month. You shouldn't be firing people every week or month. Those are very rare things that you're going to deal with. It depends on yeah, how big on. your company is also, right? So if you have a big team, if there's a, if, if your team is, if you got your product leader, you have a team of say 10, if you're turning over people every 18 months, whether they're getting promoted or going different things, you're actually, but I get what you're saying, you know, but there's some similarities to the number of SKUs you have as well. You're saying about yeah. investing in, in a failing product so when I interrupted. I was going to say, investing in a failing product, right? That's a numbers game, yeah. right? You, you can look and be like, nobody's buying this, right? New features, yeah. will new features save it? Probably not because the bad word's already out there and no one likes it. Yeah. Uh, so you can repackage it, give it a new name with new features maybe, but at that point, you've got a new product. Yeah. All right. I love that. Saeed, uh, where would you put your vote? You know, where do you see the most frequent ones? Is it end of life, investment in a failing product, hiring or firing, firing, deciding to leave or something else? I would, I would go with hiring and firing. I think, okay. I mean, again, it depends on the size of the org, but I would, I would think those are those to me, those are really critical decisions, right? Especially on a small team, right? You need to have like everyone contributes in a significant way. And you want to make sure that the impact of the hire is, you know, significant. And then if you make a mistake, you'll you'll see the penalty. And I've seen that. I, I see that in some of my clients as well. <laughs> so yeah. Um and 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 you know, it's I think. You know, I think you guys have had a, a discussion on the value of product management, but uh, I, ha I had an interesting A-B test early in my career about my value as a product manager. And um, it, it, I won't go into the story, but it worked out to about 15% of revenue per quarter of my product. <laughs> so uh, like 
it was it was just a weird situation and you know the numbers were clear but I think product management has a huge impact and you need to understand that. So I, I think good hiring decision, hiring is hard. And I think hiring is another process that could be uh, improved vastly, but uh, hiring and firing, I think is really, you know, tough. I think you're, you're dealing with people, right? It's, 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 it's a, you know, it's a human interaction. And I think we yeah. really have to take it more sort of seriously than we do. I, I completely and totally agree. Steve, your thoughts before we move on to uh, what will probably be our only question. <laughs> well, I, um, I think I agree with Richard that um, in terms of frequency, you know, uh, it seems like we frequently, I, I have struggled with uh, sunsetting products because it, I, I, I guess I do that more frequently than I do hiring and firing. Uh, but as I, I said in the uh, in the chat, you know, we we tend to hire hire people quickly because we're so desperate, and then we fire them too slowly to the detriment of the team. Yeah, I I I, I see that and I agree with that. And actually, just for a, a just a counterpoint or a, a point, uh, when we did this poll two and a half years ago. Most of the answers were different, uh, but we did have end of life in there and then the end of life actually won the last time. So I brought that forward and gave three other uh, answers with it just to give us a full. And so uh, where end of life two and a half years ago was number one, clearly investing in a failing product, which in a way to, to what Saeed said earlier, it's this, you know, sometimes you're making a decision to end of life it or to invest in it, <laughs> right? It, it's almost a two sides of the coin uh, when we're looking there. All right, uh, we probably only have time for this question looking at the time on the clock. So I wanna give uh, a chance for us to talk through this before we get to our key takeaways. What is your process for making a tough decision? If anybody who's read Decisive has probably read that uh, the Heath book, in decision-making process is more important than analysis by a factor of six research done by, I think it was McKinsey. So what is your process for making a tough decision? We've been talking about a lot of tough decisions, but what's your process or do you have a process? Jason. Uh, I'm gonna go back to Ross from Friends and say, I make a pros and cons list. <laughs> That's it, Ross. I, 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 don't Ross, think Ross in, I don't think Ross invented that. <laughs> oh, okay. And it didn't work out for him either, so. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's what my default is. It's always like pros and cons. And I work with my kids who are making decisions for their career as they're graduating college and decision-making doesn't stop at product management. And I think no, the process for decision-making can be anywhere. Um, and we're born to make decisions. And so um, I just default to pros and cons, even if I just keep it in my head um, and then weigh the impacts of each of those um, in order to help make a decision. And if I have to, I go to, for consult um, with others, not necessarily advice, but consult to get more information to help with that list and then move forward and then, uh, own my decision. Yeah. I, I love that. My, when I was making decisions about college and post-college, my dad had me make, you know, you call it a rubric now because we've done a lot of ed tech type stuff, but it's like, what are the five things that are most important to you? Weight those. And then each of the options you have, give them a score and it's going to kick out a score. It's almost like doing prioritization of features, right? Or mm -hmm. problem stories or requirements. 
Uh, maybe that's how I got my start long ago. I was prioritizing colleges to go to and, and using a rubric to do that. Uh, I don't, not, not really my, my, how I do it now. I'm unfortunately probably more gut than I should be. Uh, elsewhere, other people, how, what's your process for making this, these tough decisions? Corey. So uh, I'm assuming that was a raised hand when you had your finger up. <laughs> yeah, it's too long to explain, but here's the short version of it. Uh, decide what I really want from the decision. Uh, figure Start out with the end the, in mind. <laughs> figure out what the one minute answer is. So if I had to make this decision in one minute, what would the answer be? Now, kind of that's biasing me towards something. But then I say, okay, well, that's my default. If I don't do anything, that's my default. Um, then I go do some more research, do some ideas, come up with at least three, maybe four choices, maybe put it in a four box, who knows, uh, if you get fancy, and then overthink it, uh, complain about it, and then ultimately, when the deadline is there, I make a decision. Yeah. Actually, a day before the decision, I make it, and then I sit with it for a day and see if I uh, change my mind. All right. I, I, very scientific. I, 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 <laughs> I, resemble, I resemble that. May. I don't actually think tough decisions are tough decisions. For most of us, things getting that... zen on me, just flipping the. Well, no, I no, reject no, no. your like, reality, like, May. Let, That's let me, what she says. I let, reject. Let me your... explain. Let me explain. Like for for the most part, we know the decision coming up, which is to do something or to do nothing, right? Like for the most part, when we talk about a tough decision, it's tough not because we need to make that decision. It's tough because we, of all the things that come as a consequence of that decision. Like when we talk about a tough decision, like think back to every single tough decision you've ever made, you know what that decision is, like either yes or do nothing, um, or, or you know some variant of that. But the toughness of a tough decision is the fallout. It is not the actual decision itself. Right. There is a lot to go into like a decision making process, but like that's not what we talk about. So like my first thing is like, why am I unhappy to, to spawn this like need to make that decision, um, figure out what that decision is, and then lots of therapy. <laughs> All right. So part of it is realizing you have to make a decision. Okay, I got it. Said, Richard, Dom, any other thoughts? Yeah, I would just add one element to the process is the gut. When everything is not, you know, data, when you do all this, you know, through a process, at the end of the day, where's your experience? You know, I, I do, you know, use my gut to do some tough decisions as well, right? Because nothing is written about it, you know, and, and, and you just need to, you know, trust your gut. I have never been able to find this research thing. I took a course called marketing engineering in grad school. And on the first day, they talked about research that judged that decisions made purely on gut were had like a 30% success rate. Decisions made purely on data had like a 45% success rate. But decisions made on gut and data had like a 65 or 70% success rate. And, and I think it's a combination of the both. Saeed, were you going to say something? I, I just asked ChatGPT. Okay. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it, it knows more than me. So, you know, that's, 
That's that's the best. No, um, I, I I think I think May's comment was a good one of like what's the impact, right? What what's the impact of decision? And in a, in a sense, I a guy told me once, and I forget who it was. It was a friend of mine years and years ago. He said, "Don't make a decision today that prevents you from making a decision tomorrow." And 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 it's really about you know having an understanding of the impact, and then thinking about the next decision you will need to make and sort of factor that in. So kind of think beyond the decision and then understand the impact and then work backwards from there. And if it's a huge impact, you know, like these one-way, two-way door kind of things, if it's a, a one-way door, then really think it through, wait as long as you can to make the decision, get as much information. And if it's not, then make it quickly and adapt. So. Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, Richard, any thoughts? I'm a numbers person, right? What do the okay. short-term numbers say? What do the long-term numbers say, right? If you make a decision based upon these numbers, you're never going to look back and say, I made the wrong one. Yeah. No, I... <clears throat> let, the, let the numbers guide you. I, that's a fair, fair way of doing it. Steve, before we head to the, to the wrap up, yeah, my process is generally not to make a decision and hope the problem goes away. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Wait, Even sorry, like ninety percent of the companies in the world. Yeah, there we go. That's where I learned it from. Ninety percent of the companies in the world. Well, then why do you need product management? Ah, ooh, that's a tough one. Zing. All right, uh, gosh, great conversation. Our new format, we sort of moved on from lightning round. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway, learning or takeaway from this conversation as, as we think through this? Richard, I'm going to start with you. I mean, based upon the hiring and firing, it seems like people work in places with a lot of turnover. And I'm just not used to it. Your biggest takeaway is there's a lot of turnover at some companies. My biggest takeaway may, might, might be that, how do you work at a company that's got 30,000 SKUs? That's what I was thinking. Well, I'm not there anymore, <laughs> but, right? So, right, they, you know, a SKU, right, could I, be a sub-assembly that goes into a larger assembly and that sub-assembly could go into 50 large assemblies, right? I understand, I was making a yeah. joke. I, I actually did, did, spent a lot of time in parts management, so I totally get how you can have that many SKUs. <laughs> Dom. We're three Canadians on this call. That's your biggest takeaway? We got three Canadians on the call. Which means it's probably a much more civil call. It's becoming international, right? Yeah, it is now an international call. All right, we'll, we'll take that, Dom. Jason. Wow, I don't uh, have any major ones, I would say. Um, but I mean, we, we probably need to have more conversation on these, uh, what to do with these legacy products, like, like May was talking mm -hmm. about maintenance mode and things like that. So my takeaway is that there's a lot more conversations to have with some of these topics that we brought up earlier. Okay. Awesome. Corey. Um, I've tried to make a very tough connection here, but between what makes a tough what defines a pr tough product decision and 
how does that relate to something like a crucial conversation where it's stakes are high, emotions mm -hmm. run deep, that type of thing? Is is there a way we could define what a tough product decision is um, that we infrequently make or frequently make? Yeah, and and, and it, you know how how do you have those crucial conversations around those decisions? Yeah, uh, awesome, Saeed. Um, you know, I think I think uh, I don't know who was who was saying it was it Richard or Corey, but like that you're making decisions all the time, and I have a feeling we forget a lot of our decisions, <laughs> or we bury them because yeah. it took me a while to think about like what's the really tough decision I had to make, and I had to go way back. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think decisions are hard, and I think we 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 just you know it's a muscle, right? It becomes something that we. Uh, we exercise and, and get better at. I don't, I don't know if that's a takeaway, but that's just kind of the way I'm thinking about it right now after this I, I, I actually, I love it. I, it. It resonates with me. May. I learned that not everyone has the same types of challenges around hiring. Um, for the most part, the companies I've worked for, the challenges with hiring is not losing your headcount when someone goes away. That's an interesting, you know, I've seen that as well. People don't fire somebody because they don't want to lose the headcount. They know they would. Yeah. So it was interesting to hear that that's not a common problem. <laughs> I've, I've seen it, but hopefully that shouldn't be the problem. That's more the corporate culture type thing, I think. Awesome. Steve. I think my takeaway is bad decisions make good stories. <laughs> I, I, I like thought that. that's I how you changed this topic. <laughs> I know, no. Actually, I will say my takeaway is is that I need to make sure Steve makes decisions because if he's if his process is not making decisions to, to avoid them, I need to start making sure that Steve's making decisions because that could impact our our business. So, guys, wonderful call. Uh, great learning, Saeed. Thank you for joining us on this. Hopefully, we can get you back for some more. Uh, next week, our topic of the week is going to be product management superpowers. So start thinking about product management superpowers and, uh, you know, it'll be in the community and, you know, we do this every week, uh, on Monday, the question goes into the community on Wednesday, the poll and on Friday, we have these amazing conversations, uh, Saeed and Richard had a drop off. Thanks to both of them for being on here. Dom. Jason, May, my partner, Steve, thank you guys so much for a wonderful call. We'll see you guys next week in the community. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.